and there's an outreach and there's a, a love languages thing in the week for those of you who need to know what your spouse's love language is uh, by my wife so I want to highly recommend that she knows my love languages words, affirmation, gifts, money, kindness, French so that's helpful and then um, Tom and Nick are you with us? yes, you here? Uh, it's their last Sunday with us this morning. For some time, Thomas has felt a real burden on his heart for the nation of the UK. He hails from Scotland himself, if any of you have heard him with his accent. And he, they really have, for some time, felt a stirring and a burden for the UK with this message. There's a message on Tom's heart. He, for a couple of years now, as, as we've spoken and as he's brought it to the elders and we've worked through it and the timing of it and through the challenges they went through personally in their own family and financially and kind of come through that whole season in their life which takes quite a, a man and woman to get through and are able to stand up today and having walked that road but still have this message burning on their hearts. Uh, I know they're going to go and be such a blessing. That, that Thames River doesn't know what's hit it, but and those first converts go under the water. And um, so I wonder if you guys would just come up and stay in the front here. We're going to pray for you in a moment. And I, I had a, a scripture this morning. I woke up and I was praying about you guys. And I'll just read it in Jeremiah chapter 9. It says in verse 23. Can we have this up, James? It's just such a beautiful passage. Jeremiah 9 and verse 23. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. You see, there's a kind of success in life that we can get by sheer hard work and determination. I mean, many of us would compare ourselves to people who don't even claim to be believers, who seem to be successful. There's a success that comes by just putting your shoulder to the grindstone and working hard. But with that success comes a boasting. I did it my way. And then there's another kind of success that the Bible says comes from God. It's a success that comes without us carrying the anxiety, the stress, and the responsibility of, well, you know, if I do my part, then God will do His part. No, no, if you want to do, do our part, let's just be honest about it. It's because if we think we do our part, we can do it without God anyway. Because after God, all God's out there solving the big problems, you know, the AIDS pandemic and the financial crisis, and what's my little situation? So I'll do my part, and God is doing His part. No, my friends, there's a success in God, there's a blessing in God, there's a favor in God that comes when we trust Him 100%. Not our part and His part, no, His part. Many people do it on their part, and there's a measure of success with all the drama that goes with it. But there's a success, a kindness that God shows those who want to be quick to boast about Him. Because there's a lot of people very 
affluent out there in the world who can boast about themselves. But when we understand that our success and favor and blessing comes from God, our boast is in Him and Him alone. And I just felt to proclaim that word over Tom and Nick because I know the word that's in Tom's heart. Tom's been a faithful son in this house. He's walked many years since I've been in this church at least and, he, and he's walked th- through situations and he's, he's kept his eyes on the Lord through, through hardships and difficulties but their going to England is going to be a blessing. I just feel that with all my heart and I don't believe it will be long before the message in there is going to touch lives around them. Yes, there's, good, there's work over there and that's good to provide for our families but I believe in their case it's much bigger than that. That's just a means to the end. And for us as a church, this is a special occasion. Because we are standing in agreement and we are partnering with with sons who are being sent. I mean, come on, what's Easter all about? God gave His best. Amen? God gave His best. God sent a son. And I think as a church, when we understand there's a sacrifice, there's a pain in that. It's not easy to let go and and send and all that. But the, the reward of it, I believe in this couple's life, is going to be huge in God. And I know their boast is going to be in God. Because they don't think it's because of their education. They don't think it's because they've got the right skills and the right uh, giftings and the right experience and all those kind of things that are, are good if you, know, you we want to do our part. But when we know it's God doing it, then we are fully and totally dependent on Him and Him alone. And that's what grace is all about. And I know this man has got it in his heart. And Nikki as well. So I just felt such an excitement this morning while I was thinking about praying for them. And I want the team to come up please, the elders. And I want to stand with them and just lay hands on them. They're going, they're going to be getting employment, they're going to be finding a place to stay and all those things. But at the same time, I believe they're going with a, a destiny in God. And we're going to be we will rejoice when we hear of that inheritance. Amen? Amen. This is not a career move. This is not an increasing in, in, in the natural. This is a sowing for the kingdom. And Father, right now as we come and just lay hands on them and as we stretch out our hands of blessing, we pray that the Lord keep you. The Lord bless you. The Lord make His face shine upon you. The Lord give you peace. The Lord give you the desires of your heart in the nation you go. And may the Lord prosper everything you put your hands to do. We stand with you this morning as we send you and pray, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint them. And this message that's burning in their hearts that many would come and know that God is good, that our boast is in You alone, Lord, in You alone, because You are going to do this for the praise of Your name. I just had a picture uh, earlier this morning of the uh, Luftwaffe's bombing raids over London. It was meant for evil. I just felt that God is sending a bombing raid of His own. And uh, that he's bombing, he has started bombing and is bombing that place with his love, his sweet love, his loving kindness and his grace and his mercy and his truth. And also just uh, to, to tie into what that word Louise had, just that Thomas and Nikki are also being dropped in their place as bombs, as they explode with the life of God, with the grace of God, with the 
with the, with the goodness of the gospel exploding in every direction out of their lives. And Lord, we thank you for that. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for them. Thank you. Never will you leave or forsake them. Thank you. Your spirit indwells them. Thank you, Lord. You go ahead of them. Thank you, Lord. You enable them and empower them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And to many others, if, if folk feel they have a word, um, they'd be very encouraged if you put it down. Uh, so, so we don't want to um, not make time for that, but they'd be very encouraged to get something if it's an email, a letter, an SMS of encouragement. Yeah, Tom and Nick, uh, just in reading this morning, came across this in Isaiah 46 and it says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from the ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. From the east I summon a bird of prey, and from a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that will I bring about. What I have planned, that will I do. That's a beautiful word. A bird of prey. Stretch those eagle wings. Yeah. And we really love you guys. You know, you've been, you've been a blessing in this house. We had a farewell for them the other night that uh, Trevor and Liz put together. They had about 80 of their closest friends over. And I was amazed at... Sorry if you weren't there. You, you're still a friend, okay? But, but my point is, it's nicer to go to something like that and hear what people think about someone than waiting for the funeral when everyone says all the niceties. But just one of the things that stood out for me was the impact they've had on people's lives. And... Uh, Bless you guys, man. Amen. Did we wish you a happy Easter? It's nice to, to be free. Did you do your little search this morning through the bushes? Or are your kids at home doing that right now? Praise God. Amen. We're going to prepare to take up our morning offering. And I can ask someone to take the work of art back to the... Um, Sistine Chapel over there, and as we, as we prepare to take up our morning offering, we should know the drill by now, because we are cheerful givers, not giving out a compulsion, because we are cheerful givers, not giving out a compulsion, we come and declare that what's in our hand, whether it's offering, whether it's our tithe, we are partnering in the gospel. So we declare together. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this in my hand. That it represents my time and energy that I'm sowing for the gospel. I do it cheerfully. And I thank you that my inheritance is in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys as you do that. Can you turn to Romans chapter 5? I want to speak for a little while before we have communion on the obedience of Christ and what that means for us. This day does represent the greatest date in our Christian calendar that the resurrection of Jesus made him unequal to any other contemporary, any other prophet, any other great spiritual leaders. 
Jesus stands and rose head and shoulders above this universe of anything that comes close to Him. And this subject of His obedience and what that means for us is central to what this day is all about. And If you want to read with me verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, Death came to all men because all sinned. In that is packaged the very root of the world problem, the fall of man. Every suffering, every sickness, every calamity, every pain, every divorce, every abandoned child, every uh, crime against humanity comes from a very basic seed, a very basic genetic fault that is entered into the human race through the one man, and this death affects every aspect of society, and all that uh, has brought pain and sorrow and sadness. And my first thing I want to say about this this morning is, we are not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we are sinners. You see, it's a bit like when, when our blood is contaminated with something, it can manifest itself through the skin, a rash or a sickness or whatever it is. We don't look at the rash on our skin or the sickness and say, oh no, look what's happening, this is going to contaminate my blood. It's, not, it's the root that brings the effect, not the effect that it brings the root. So we don't say, well, we know we're sinners because we sin. No, we sin because we sinners. Because sinners come into the genetic code and the issue is not trying to patch the skin up. The issue is not trying to put the cream on the rash. The issue is not trying to deal with the externals through rules and regulations and certain restraint. But through dealing with the source, the foundation of the problem. It's that union with first Adam that brought death. It's that we, we died... Not because of our own sin, we died because of man's sin. In the book of Romans, sin is spoken about over 120 times. Each case it's a noun, except for one occasion where it's a verb. And that might make sense as we carry on through, through our teaching. So, so we died, there's suffering on earth, there's all this misery because of this sin entering through the one man we know as fallen man, Adam. And... and that contamination, you could say, I mean, this is not fair. Does it feel fair? I mean, it would be different if it was us that brought it on ourselves, but it's kind of been passed on to us. I mean, it doesn't feel fair. It's about as fair as when we were in the army and you were roofy with shaven hair and dark brown uniform and we all hated it and no one wanted to be there and it was an unfortunate situation in our unfortunate political past but there we were a bunch of 17 year olds didn't know anything better been slapped out of bed at 4 in the morning standing in the freezing cold and off we go jogging up and down the hills up and down the hills and then one oak puts his foot out of place and doesn't keep up with the rest now I think it would be fair if that guy got punished hello or one guy slept late. I think he should get punished. But no, the philosophy was this. Oh, you're my kiss, nah? Con- translated, oh, these are your friends, right? So if one guy puts his place, foot out of place, the whole troop is up the hill again. Bumping this guy as you go. Hey man, come on man, get with the act. What's the matter with you? 
But it's not fair. He should suffer for his own crime. But now we're all suffering for him. I, I mean, I never heard of a corporal coming to the bungalow and say, Hey, this guy's bed is so neatly ironed, I'm going to let you all off today. It's not fair. But that's exactly why this unfairness was allowed to happen. Through the one man, all had to go running up the mountain, so to speak. Point two, this was in order that God could legally show us unfair kindness. Look at verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed the one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed the trespasses and brought justification. Point number three. Now we receive, not achieve, this free gift. It says we receive this, not achieve it. Achieve it is if we did something. we fully persuaded by now we have received this free gift of righteousness, not because of anything we have done, but because of the obedience of the one man. Verse 18. Consequently, so here's the consequence. Just as the result of the one trespass was Condemnation, and you can write in there sin, sickness, poverty, suffering, war, pain, for all men. So also, the result of the one act of righteousness, but who did that? Was justification that brings life, that, that, right next to that word zoe, that's the, the, the Greek word there, zoe, is a new quality, it's a life that started already for us. As a born-again believer, we don't even fear death anymore. Because while the body might get old and be laid off like a garment, the life has already begun. And that life is, is, is unfathomable. It's, you can never get to the bottom, bottom of it. You can, never, you can never get to the width of it. You can never get to the heart of it. Zoe life for all men. Verse 19, For just as through the disobedience of the one man, say disobedience of the one man, Okay, the many were made sinners and death, condemnations, all that. So also through the obedience of the one man, underline obedience of the one man, many will be made righteous. So, so he's making his point very clear. Yeah. He states it a few ways, in different ways. But, but Paul had spent 17 years of his life getting to the bottom of this gospel. He, God used him to write two-thirds of the New Testament. He wasn't about to get, give, get this mixed up. And the book of Romans so beautifully unpacks that. And this passage is central in understanding the very root cause. One fell, all were punished, one acted righteously, and all will be blessed. Because of his disobedience and because of his obedience. And that, my friends, is what spiritual warfare is all about. Our weapons are not carnal, but are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds and principalities and powers. But those aren't like little boogeymen floating in the clouds. Because it says, taking captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. You see, this is the battlefield of Satan. It's in our minds where the enemy is launching his attack. 
Where he comes with, you deserve to be like your grandfather who died. That pain in your back. Oh, that's the beginning of, you know, an early death in your life. Oh, yeah, you see the financial crisis? It's just a matter of time before you on the street begging for bread. Oh, you know, and, and these thoughts come into our mind. Our spiritual warfare, when thoughts of shame come and tell us that we're unworthy and that we deserve to be punished, when thoughts of poverty and failure come to us and remind us of our past, and our parents' mistakes, and our mistakes, we have to, our spiritual warfare is reminding them of the finished work of the cross. That's spiritual warfare. That's bringing every thought, obedient, captive to the obedience of Christ. What was the obedience of Christ? The obedience of Christ opened up life and blessing as the disobedience of man brought suffering. This is the sergeant major who walks into the Bible and says, because your bed is polished, you guys can all take the weekend off. This doesn't seem to be fair. But it's allowed to be unfair because that was also unfair. Are you with me this morning? So the obedience of the one. That's our spiritual warfare. That's how we bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You see, the, the, the obedience of Christ was His obedience. It wasn't our obedience. If our righteousness depended on our obedience, I think some of you are in big trouble today. I mean, no, I mean the elders I can understand. You, you know, they're okay. But, but I mean, I'm looking past the first row and I'm thinking, oh, there's some trouble in this church coming. If your favor, your blessing, your protection, your eternal life depended on, on our obedience, we're in trouble. No, it was on His obedience. Now, that, we, we've got to understand that, that spiritual warfare is in the area of the mind. Bringing every thought. Where do thoughts happen? Yeah. So that's where we are pummeled with failure, pummeled with poverty, pummeled with sickness, pummeled with guilt consciousness. And it's as we take thoughts captive because of Christ's obedience, it's only as we take them captive are we applying the finished work of the cross to our mind and we will live in victory. And success. So we can either rely on our own man-made techniques of, you know, self-discipline and endurance and, and if I do these five things in the week, or I can rely on His obedience. You see, relying on His obedience makes me cross-conscious. Relying on His obedience means I'm fixing my eyes on the author and perfecter of my faith all the time. When I'm conscious of Him and His presence is with me. You see, Jesus' presence in your life is a free gift. It's nothing you've earned. It's nothing you've deserved. Thank God. It's a free gift. And because of that, when our eyes are on Him and His finished work, our minds begin to be renewed. Do you know that's what repentance means, the actual word? Metanoia, change of mind. It's when I stop believing that I have to be like my father in his problem because of the finished work of the cross. My mind is being changed. Do you know that's a gift from God? Because psychology can't do that. Humanism can't do that. Self-help techniques can't do that. We have got such a powerful message. Tom, if England knew what a powerful message you got, Brew, if they knew that bomb that's being dropped on them, they won't have a clue what's coming. Not to say they haven't got that, but I'm just making a point. Amen. Point four. Would we take advantage of this free gift? Like someone says, you know, I, I met someone who, who says because of this, this obedience of Jesus and the gift of righteousness and the, the abundance of grace, now they can continue in their, their sin because they're under grace. I mean, how dumb can you get and still breathe? The Bible says, 
in, in Romans 6.14, sin will not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. That, that actually means because we are under grace, not that scripture. Not that, uh, anyway. Uh, verse, I said verse 14. Sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under, under grace. You see, that, that's, when we understand we under, we're in this relationship, we, we're not under the dominion of, of sin anymore. There's no excuse. Oh, well, my sinful nature just made me do it. I'm so weak. No, no, you're under grace now. You're not under the law that, that pointed out your sin and made you feel guilty. Now, because you're under grace, you've been set free. That old nature's been ripped out and torn out. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. You can have the victory. And when you fall in the mud, you want to jump out quickly. Not want to live in the mud. Show me someone who's wanting to live in the mud. I'll show you someone who's never understood that they're not under law, under grace. Because the Bible says, sin shall not be your master. So how can someone who's allowing sin to be their master say they've understood grace? They're still under law. They're still living under the cover, the Mosaic covenant of do's and don'ts and special set of things and, 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 and self-imposed disciplines. They're still living there. And now they think they're free of that, so now they can do all the things they want to do anyway. No, 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 no. When you're living here, when your heart is bursting like, like that heart over there, it's because you're actually not under its dominion anymore. You're free. It's not your master. That doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. It means we don't live there. Joseph, in the Old Testament, fleed from Potiphar's wife because it says he didn't want to sin against his God. I want to ask you a question. Was that before the law was given or after the law was given? Before. Why? Because the law was in his heart. Because God was with him. When God is with you, you want to please God. If someone can live like this and say they're under grace, they don't, they're, they're, they're not in relationship with God. That's, that's what he's saying here. Anyway, that's Paul. I'm going to get to heaven and thank him for saying that because if I'd said it, I would have got into trouble. Verse 15 says, What then? Shall, shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you're slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now someone's going to say, Ah, oh, there you go, that's the verse I was looking for. But I want you just to bear in mind, the previous chapter, Paul is speaking about those who are slaves to sin are because of the disobedience of the one man, and those that are slaves to righteousness are those because of the obedience of the one man. So there's two camps here. There's the disobedience of fallen Adam and then there's the obedience of lost Adam. The one leads to death and slaves of sin and the other is because of righteousness. It's almost like there's two prisons. When we were born in first Adam, it wasn't our bad works that made us sinful. We had sin in us. It wasn't our sin that caused us to die. It was the way we were born. In lost Adam, it's not our goodness that makes us righteous. It's our faith in his obedience. It's not eternal life on our obedience, but on his obedience. Has everyone got that? Is that clear and simple enough? First Adam, last Adam. This is the contrast that he's bringing in over here. Now, when we speak to people who are over here, outside of Christ, living still in the first Adam, in terms of the genetic, passed down, sinful nature, and we have a conversation with them, and they say something to us like, 
Well, you know, I'm a very good person. Uh, on, on Saturdays, I go and take food to the old age home, and on, on Mondays, I, 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 I visit the orphans, and, and, and those are good things. You know, that's wonderful. Does that change their condition in First Adam? Does that change the fallenness? No, no. Because they are in a prison. They are slaves. Through the, through the disobedience of Adam, they are enslaved. Now Paul's con- contrasting that. We're talking about s- slaves to sin. And verse 17 goes on and says, and this is the key that swapped our prisons. Verse 17, But thanks be to God that though you used to be a slave to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. You see, this is the obedience which leads to righteousness of the previous verse 16. That's not a self-righteousness. That's not a self-obedience that leads to self-righteousness. That's faith in his obedience. And because of these two prisons, man over here can't get out of his, th- this place. He's in a lesser covenant. But somehow we think if we're living over here, and we do something wrong, and a taxi hits us, I'm not sure where I'll spend eternity. Now I can tell you where you'll spend eternity. On the obedience of Christ. Because here we are in sl- we're slaves. That doesn't mean if a taxi doesn't hit me, I shouldn't renew my mind, I shouldn't repent, and I shouldn't confess my sin, which is agreeing with Jesus that that's stupid behavior and is going to cause terrible destruction. But you see, sometimes we think the security of first Adam was greater than the security of last Adam. And sin is deceitful. It can harden our hearts and bring us to a place where if I stop believing in this better covenant, that's the only way I can lose my salvation. But we are prisoners, prisoners to Christ. Christ's prison, if you want to call that, is superior. His grip on you is tighter than your grip on him. And the key that swapped that was the form of teaching to which you entrusted. What was that form of teaching? Verse 17. What was that, but thanks be to God, what was that underlying form of teaching that you entrusted to Well, he summarizes it in verse 18. He says that you've been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. So it's clear. Our righteousness is not based on our obedience. Our righteousness is based. And when we fully understand this, it happened when we obeyed the form of teaching we received. What was that form of teaching? I wrote down a few things. I'll go through them quickly. First of all, that the law was put into effect to show us our bankruptcy. Secondly, Jesus fulfilled the whole law. He didn't come to abolish it, he came to fulfill it. Thirdly, that Jesus was identified with us at our worst, so that we could be identified with him at his best. Fourthly, he was imputed sin on the cross. He was made to be sin, not because of any sin of his own. It was imputed to him, and we've been made righteousness, not because of any of our righteousness, but it was imputed to us as righteousness. We did nothing wrong. We, there's nothing we could do yet to change our condition. It wasn't, we, didn't have, we weren't sinners because of our sin, but because of fallen Adam's sin. We have his righteousness because of Christ's righteousness. When he was buried, we were identified with him. When he was raised from the dead, 
On this Easter Sunday, 2,000 years ago, the Bible says we were positionally raised with Him. That is the essence of this form of teaching that Paul had spent 17 years in coming to grips with the gospel, the gospel of grace, the, a custodian of this message, that when he, he wrote this letter, he was saying, this was the form of teaching. You are free. You don't live in this prison anymore. You live in a new prison. And it's because of this prison, God can relate to you completely differently to the way you were under this prison. And then in conclusion... What his obedience means for us. Verse 17. This is beautiful. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through the one man. Okay, have we examined that this morning? Secondly, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness? Have we looked at that this morning? So we've looked at two things this morning. We've looked at the trespass of the first man and the death that resulted. We've also looked at the abundance of God's provision through Christ, of grace and righteousness because of His obedience. But there's one thing we haven't examined, and that's the third part of that verse, which is, shall reign in life through the man, Christ Jesus. So we're starting to get it now. I'm out of this prison. I'm in this prison. And now, because of this, and because of this change of relationship that God has with me, I can begin to expect to reign in life over every situation I face. And it's not based like it was under here because of my doing this or not doing that. It's based completely on receiving it as a free gift. It's the same way. I prophesied over Tom this morning that if it was according to his gifting and his qualification and his context, then those things would get some boast. But when you do something and you know you are 100% dependent on God, our boast is in his kindness, in his goodness, in his greatness. And it's a free gift. And God gets all the glory. Because it's no more about, well, I was a Christian for so many years and I did this and this. Let me tell you, God, well, let me ask you a question. I'm in a questioning mood this morning. Does God answer your prayers because of what you do or because of the finished work of the cross? I know it's a loaded question. I know at the end we say, in Jesus' name. So that should give you a clue. Oh, there's a thought. He answers our prayers not because of what we do, but completely because of the obedience of Christ. So whatever you ask for, you're not asking for it over here. Will God answer my prayer? You know, I've been in the Word this week. I've, my faith's built up because I'm reading and faith comes by. And I've been praying, praying, praying. And I fasted four days. I mean, surely God's going to hear my prayer now. Boast not. So God loves you too much. And He says, well, I never, I'm not saying no, I'm just saying wait. Wait and get your mind renewed till you get to a place in your life where you realize, I am what I am by the grace of God. 
Paul says, and this grace in me was not ineffective, but this grace in me worked harder than all the other apostles. You see, this is not a recipe for laziness. This is just a recipe out of self-works into His works, into His finished works. And then our boast becomes, this grace in me is working harder than all the other apostles because it was a want to, not a have to. You see, He didn't just say, because I heard this message of grace, and because of that message, I'm going to go work hard. No, it wasn't because of the message. It was the message working in Him. It was the grace of God that He said is working harder than all the other apostles. And by the history books, we can see that was true. And no wonder He was called the Apostle of Faith and Apostle of Grace. God answers your prayers because of what Jesus obeyed. His obedience. When we understand that, that we can reign in life because of that one thing. You can reign in your family because of that one thing. Let me tell you, regardless of circumstances, you get to work tomorrow morning, you find that they've shifted you or moved you or dumped you, that does not change your reigning in life. Because reigning in life is by faith through, by grace through faith, not by works. In the midst, you see, our circumstances don't change it. Pit or palace, he was called by God to reign. And now we have to, our minds are changing. We're saying, I'm destined to reign in God. I love that book. If you haven't got it already by Joseph Prince on destined to reign, please get it and read it. It's just so simple. It's so clear that God really wants us blessed. Someone says, oh, it sounds like the, the prosperity message. The prosperity gospel. No. There's only one gospel, the gospel of Jesus. In that gospel, God wants you to prosper. I think this is just the healing gospel again. Just in a different form, the healing gospel. Now, there's only one gospel, gospel of Jesus Christ, and in that gospel there's healing. Oh, I think this is just, you know, sinless perfection gospel. No, no, only one gospel. In that gospel, you've been forgiven all your sins, past, present, and future. You can either live in that prison, or you can reject that prison. But you can reign in life. You can reign in life. In your marriage, you can reign. In your family, you can reign. Going to England, you can reign. Going to New Germany, you can reign. Going to Queensborough, you can reign. Going to school, you can reign. We can reign in everything because our prayers aren't based on our obedience. They're based on His obedience. Now, of course, God's not going to give a three-year-old a, 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 a chainsaw. And, you know, we ask for something. Well, I asked, you know, I believe this is reigning in life. And I asked God for, no, well, maybe you're just not ready for chainsaw. Doesn't that mean God said no? See, sometimes He just says, wait. God always answers prayers. Always. Always. Yes, no, wait. Yes, no, wait. Doesn't mean He said no. He just knows you're still living under, what can I, what am I doing? And He's waiting for you to have your mind renewed to a place where your faith is in Him because He wants you to walk in the provision of faith, not works. Because there's dead works and works you've been predestined for. Paul was predestined for to be the apostle that God called him to do. He could have done it in the flesh. He tried. He persecuted the church with zeal. You know when people criticize church and churches and that? That can be zeal. That's misdirected. Paul did that. God wants you to reign. I don't know what you're facing right now in life. But I do know this. From the authority of that word, He wants you to reign.
Because of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, you are in a better place. You are bond slaves to Him. And now we've got to add faith to that. Doesn't, it's not just going to fall out. We're going to wake up tomorrow morning and say, you see, I knew it wouldn't work. I tried it before. It still doesn't work. Now I had to add faith. Over here, what did I have to do to get out of this prison? I had to add faith to what? How good I could be as a Christian. No, to the obedience of Christ. When I put my faith in that, things changed. Now because of that change of things, I can take the next step, which is reign in life. Be victorious. Be successful. God's kind of success. Because He's with me all the time. That's true success. When you know that He is with you. That He'll never desert you. He'll never leave you. It's a free gift of His presence. We don't earn it. We can't be good enough for it. We don't achieve some moral thing to have it. He promised to never leave us. And if we take hold of that promise, Church, we will reign in life. And whatever thing we're facing right now, whatever we're going through, and as a local church, we will reign. Amen? It's good news. Good news. Right, can I ask you to stand up, please? And the musicians to come up, and those serving the the communion. We're going to celebrate our reason for this season by partaking around this wonderful table of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection.